got some uh, internet ramen for dinner. Is that different than regular ramen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes with a uh, with a curry pack. I made it a little too zesty. I used to have a good source for my ramen, but now, like, the supermarket has a crappy brand, and I think H Mart or Super 88 or something like that has, like, the better brand, but I haven't been there recently. Uh, f- go Google Internet Ramen. Uh, first mm-hmm. link to Twitter. It's not technically ramen. It's My Kuali Penang White Curry Noodle. And according to the, the ramen blogs, it's uh, well-regarded. It's pretty good. It comes with three packets. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and the thing is, I don't vote party line with the ramen blogs. A lot of them are on Blogspot. Uh, and sometimes they suggest like a noodles in a cup thing. That's really not to my taste. But this is, uh, this is quite toothsome. It comes with a ramen pack, some uh, non-dairy creamer, and a little flavor pack with secret salt, I think. And honestly, the, the best way to make this, if, if, see, when I'm making it for my daughter, I got to do it separately because she doesn't want any spice in it. But if you just do it like the old school college way and just throw the pack in with it, it's pretty good. I usually throw a bunch of other crap in with mine. Yeah, these days, I almost never have it just by itself. I always have stuff around the house mm-hmm. you throw in there. You get vegetables you throw in there. You got some pieces of meat you throw in there. Yeah, I had leftover, I had leftover chicken in mine. Uh, egg is good. Also, uh, I think diced uh, scallions are good. Pretty fancy. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty savory. <sighs> it's been a long time since we recorded. I guess. Yeah. I didn't have uh, didn't have jury duty. That's good. I mean, I had to go, but I, I wasn't seated, so you had to stand the whole time. Hmm. Hmm. So that was good. Did you want to talk? You want to talk about this a little bit? Should Should we talk about mold first, or you want to talk about the election first? We should get the mold out of the way. Mm-hmm. Usually, the, you gotta you gotta address the mold immediately. You got to get in there as quick as possible. I I have not been bugging you because I know we got to we got to put every dollar on the screen. I know how important it is to keep this for the show, but I've been dying to know how it went. Your ranger came out last Friday. <laughs> if you wanted to call during the mold episode, you should have contacted us <laughs> during the free will episode. Yeah, I like you thinking like you just got to tell me how that mold thing turns out, but you were a week off. Yeah, I did. I I, I dropped a Friday. It's all right. So what happened? Give, um, give me the rundown. I think you would you would have heard about it if it was worse. It was pretty boring. So the guy came and he checked all the things I wanted to check and said, you don't have mold. You don't have a mold problem at all. What you got is a little bit of a funky smell that only people with really good senses of smell can smell. There is no mold here. There was no mold here. There probably will be no mold here. So chill out. Which is pretty much the best possible result, right? A hundred. I mean, that's that's worth two hundred and fifty dollars right there. Yeah, and guess how much you charged me? Two seventy five. Zero dollars. You have got to be kidding me. Zero dollars. He spent fifteen twenty minutes with me, talked through all my anxieties, gave me his card, charged me no money. Uh, I want to hear so much more about this because because I'm imagining I'm thinking about you going back and you dealing with the people who are working on your house. How you got to, uh, how do you phrase it? You're a little bit of a pill about, you know, things lining up and stuff like that. And it sounds like they got frustrated. I could see you having a lot of questions for Jason the Ranger. Did you ever get his real name? It, actually, I looked it up before the show. His first name is Jason. There's no way his name is Jason. Yeah, I, I looked on his card like 10 minutes ago. Holy crap. 
anyway, uh, yeah, no, I had lots of questions. We went over all sorts of things. We went upstairs. We went downstairs. We looked at things with flashlights. We poked at things with our fingers and various instruments. He measured humidity levels in my floor. Did, you know, no mold. Wow. So I'm happy about that, although I'm still getting my front stoop and walkway replaced because, I mean, they need to be replaced for years. They're concrete and they're cracked and they're sinking and they're tilting towards my house, which is probably where the funky smell comes from. But yeah. Did he um, offer you any plaudits for uh, how well you had pre-diagnosed the problem? I, I'd like to get a plaudit. No, I'm not looking for cookies. I mean, mm. I, you feel like you get out of that. You're lucky if you get out of that without a stern talking to. I know. I know. Like, listen, I, I, I want a listen. cookie, but I frequently get a talking to. Yeah, like homeowners always think they smell mold, but homeowners are dummies and they don't know what's going on. Let me tell you, when the mold man, you don't got mold. Do you have any tips for you? Things to really look for? Like, you know, oh, if you had a broken arm, you'd know it. <laughs> At one point, he pulled out his phone to show me. <laughs> Here's where his, I just came from. <laughs> his iPhone, to, you know, from like basically to further emphasize, here's why you don't have mold and here's what it looks like. Not to show me like the big scary pictures like you had of the fan and everything. Yeah. But just like here's what it looks like when like it's actually hard to see. Like you have to shine your light on it a certain way and there's a different texture and so on and so forth. And so he pulls out his phone and he's flicking through the photos app. I'm like, what kind of <laughs> you, you you borrow this guy's phone for a second and you happen to go into his photos app and all you see is just picture after picture of just the most horrible things you can ever <laughs> like just pages and pages of mold i don't know if it's his work phone if it's his personal phone i wonder what what like uh moments looks like you know in the apple photos app or you didn't moments. see anybody blowing up birthday candles or anything <laughs> right a year ago today you know thanks oh, i remember, I remember that one <laughs> like they, they always put like words on it I, I always wonder where these words are mine always say bay lake which is like does it think it's a bay or a lake or a lake by a bay because it's it's not a bay and it's not a lake it's just pictures from the beach anyway it has to say like you know evidence dungeon <laughs> <laughs> swamp, swamp shack <laughs> Right. It was just so, so terrible. I just... Man. Oh, God. Right. I, I also wonder, like, if it is his one and only iPhone, like, if he keeps flicking back, does he find pictures of his kids, like, in between the mold? <laughs> You're right, though. Photos must really struggle it's with what's what have no idea. Like, the machine learning algorithm's going to be baffled. It's going to be like, I, I guess this person is some kind of a fungus. And <laughs> Google Photos has photos. created a new movie for you. <laughs> <laughs> right do, do, do. the live photos you hold down your finger and you, you see the flashlight flicker across the surface of the mold <laughs> that was a bad one. Oh. so uh so as you sit here, sit here today you you feel uh you feel better so i what i asked among my many questions was like okay so there's no mold there's no promise of mold. He told me lots about the dynamics of mold and about like how it's not going to advance and race through your house without a present and constant presence of moisture, right? Um, so, but I was like, well, I've got there is the smell there. He was able to smell it when he got his nose right up to the part where you can smell and give it a big snoof. Mm. Uh, I said, what can I do about that? It's like, well, uh, you can get various deodorizing things. Uh, from the store to try to get out that odor um but one thing you can do with household stuff is you know he mentioned the bleach business but i don't want my house to smell like bleach he said well just white vinegar is the lowest impact thing you can do maybe not as good as the other things but 
It's just going to smell like vinegar for a short period of time, then it won't smell like anything. You're not going to accidentally make your whole house smell like bleach. Right. You're not going to accidentally, like, inhale fumes and die. Uh, and it's not going to... Wetting it with white vinegar is not going to cause mold to grow there. So I sprayed some white vinegar down there a couple times. Um, of course, I've had a uh, head cold for a couple weeks now, like the whole rest of my house. And so I don't, you know, my sense of smell is not great with me stuffed up and blowing my nose for weeks. But I'm pretty sure the smell is less than it was. Um, I see. When I, when I mentioned last episode, the thing I learned about from the Internet where you use a combination of white vinegar and baking soda. I mean, isn't that probably just like a little bit of science at least? There's something. What is that? Acetic acid? Is It's doing something. Yeah, I didn't do. I just didn't use the baking soda to like uh, to cause the reaction. It's mostly. I mean, who knows what the vinegar is doing? Uh, I assume it is making the environment more acidic, so therefore less hospitable for things to grow. Mm, mm-hmm. But he assured me there's nothing I can do wrong with the vinegar. It will suddenly, you know, if I do it wrong, will more mold grow because I'm spraying this vinegar down. It's like, don't worry about it. So, did the vinegar for a little while? It smells like vinegar, and then it doesn't anymore. And you know, whatever. I still have the threshold strip up from my door. I'm going to put it back on pretty soon. But uh, we did have some rain in between there. When it rained, I'm there feeling around. Say, is rain getting in? Is moisture getting? You know, I nothing. I got I got nothing there. So who knows? I, I mean, it's still it's still possible. It could have been a dead snake. Like I think I said last show. Like right. I have never more wanted to find a dead animal mm-hmm. than yeah. when the smell came in. But never did find a dead animal. Maybe when they jackhammer out the cement uh, stoop from the front of my house, they will find a whole nest of dead animals, we'll say. Or a uh, red fox. That was a nice photo somebody sent. So. Yeah. Now, example, I, I would I would have killed to find a red fox yeah. like that under my house. <laughs> Finally. Luxury. It's explicable. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I remember reading uh, a long time ago, um, I mean, because I'm not a fan of masking odors. Like, to me, I, I'm just going to say, like, being in a men's room that smells like pee is not greatly improved by adding a flower smell to where it smells like flowers and pee. I don't think that's a good solution. I think vinegar does something. Maybe our listeners can tell us about the science of this, but I remember hearing this a long time ago that if you've got a smell in your house that you don't like, there's two kinds of things you have around that can help get rid of it. One is coffee and coffee filters. Um, I'll come back to that one. But with the vinegar one, what I heard was you soak a towel in white vinegar, put it in a dish, and just leave it in that room and it's not a masking thing. Somehow it seems to make the smell go away. I, I don't know if there's any science behind that. But it, it's not just that you notice the vinegar more. It's that the smell seems to go away. The other one's coffee. If you've ever been on a plane when somebody drops a deuce really bad in, in the lav, they'll grab coffee filters and start uh, rubbing them all over uh, the luggage compartments. You ever had that happen, John? Coffee filters? Just like the little paper? No, thing? no, no, no. Like spent. Like, you know, dead soldiers. So oh. they, 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 they take Ugh. a giant, yeah, and you start you start rubbing that. Because think about this. Like when you're doing a taste thing, they'll have you like, or a smell thing, they'll have you smell coffee in between smellings of things. Mm. You ever heard of that? Anything as, anything as pungent as coffee makes me feel like they're just sort of overloading your uh, your receptors so that you can't get anything else. Maybe it's what they call a force reset. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't like the idea of the, the vinegar thing. Sounds better to me just because it's it's acidic and presumably it is reacting to you know with whatever is around. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't like the image of used coffee filters and poop. I know. <laughs> you can't even. You can't even look at the TV. That's one. That's one of the le- the less popular <laughs> Jelly Belly flavors. <laughs> Top four, 
Well, I'm glad that got resolved. My wife's car still smells like gas. Did I tell you why it smells like gas? Like as in gasoline? As in ga- gas- gasoline from Gastown. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my wife, who does too much in life, was the chair of the, uh, the carnival a few weeks ago. And you know how it is when you do this, these things with school. There's all the work you have to do. Then there's all the work you do because other people didn't do the work. And then there's all the work that has to happen because it came up in the last minute. Turns out we found a dude who would give us a free bounce house, but he didn't have a generator for the bounce house. So my wife went out and at her own expense, uh, went to the mission and uh, I got a, I think it was a 6,000, I want to say a 6,000 watt um, generator. It barely fits into the back of a Jetta station wagon. But it's got, it had to be like four gallons of gas sloshing around in there. I've done the treatment and it still smells like gas. I don't know what we're going to do. I think we may have to really just strip the whole thing down. You wouldn't like that. You wouldn't like being in a car with gas smell. That's weird though, because I've always been, uh, my experience with gas smells, mostly experience of filling up the little, you know, plastic two or three gallon thing at the gas station, you know, to use for the snowblower or the lawnmower or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And getting gas in my hands sometimes with the pump or whatever is that. It smells, but it evaporates and reacts so quickly that it dissipates, like that it doesn't linger. Right. I think this got into the carpeting a little bit. I feel like even that, like if you just let air it out, should eventually just evaporate away, right? Well, I should. This was my, um, I mentioned on uh, the program with John Gruber that I was using this as therapy on Wednesday, was like I just cleaned the living crap out of the car and did the full, uh, you know, baking soda volcano treatment on the car. And t- took out the liner, took it out, did the whole vinegar, I did it all. But, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it. But, uh, yeah, vinegar. You know, there's those people, they're like uh, household fetishists, where they say, you know, there's only three kinds of things you really need to have in your house. And, like, vinegar is always one of them. Vinegar is, is the go-to, they say. Vinegar, white vinegar. Use it for anything. You can try that on your uh, gasoline-soaked car. Dilute, or, dilute. Know. Bust the joint out. Might a match. Got a way to get. Got a way to get rid of that smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Liquor was just going right out the other door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like my new icon. Yeah, great eyebrows. Great eyebrows. I just changed it just just for you. Cheech, aparta. Frankie Five Angels. He was talking about Hitler back in thirty-three. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. We should talk about Millennium Actress again briefly, because that's the thing we I can't do. believe this is coming up again. I believe it. We are informed by a listener that what happened? Was that in the last show where we suggested a new place to see Millennium Actress, or was it just on if Twitter? If you wanted to call in during the show about Ghost in the Shell trailer, you should have contacted us during the pet invest- infestation. No, it was two, maybe two shows ago. We were like, hey, guess what? Paramount Vault ate the booger and took down Millennium Actress, but to the rescue, dun-da-da, comes this other place. And that was, I think, just a few weeks ago. And now it looks like that got, that's down, too. Right. A lot of people did see it with ads, which is terrible, Yeah. in the time that it was up for free on whatever the service was. But now it's not anymore. Hmm. So the conspiracy to keep Millennium Actress away from people Ugh. continues. And the conspiracy, to, the, the, the such smaller scale conspiracy to keep you from watching. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it really soon. I saw the trailer for uh, for Ghost in the Shell Ugh, and Rogue One. You, I, I can't hide. I, I did not watch the Rogue One trailer. So How do you? You can't it. avoid it. It's right in your face. It was in. It was in front of uh, Doctor Strange, but I closed my eyes and held my ears. 
love you so much. I wanted to do that with uh, Rogue One because our friend Todd, who's mentioned on every episode, says, hey, mm-hmm. you know, just IMO, they put too much into the trailers. There's too much story in the trailer. Yeah, that's why, that's why I did it, yeah. I thought uh, I thought that looked visually stunning. Now, sh- now sh- should I watch Millennium Actress? I feel like I should watch Ghost in the Shell because that looks like a very interesting story. The live action movie? No, well, I'll probably see that anyway. But you guys no, talked don't about don't see the live action. The live action movie never struck me as a good idea, and the trailer for it reinforces my notion that this will not be a good thing. Should I watch Millennium Actress before I watch Ghost in the Shell? Yes. Okay. You're not you're just saying that because you're mad at me because we're not watching Millennium Actress. It's it's FIFO, so we just just we got to do what we got to do here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fire in, fire out. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Anyways, uh, boy, it's so it's so funny. We watch. Oh, what did we watch? You know, we watch a lot of the YouTube now. And I was watching this uh, pretty good video um, somebody did on Miyazaki. It was pretty good, and that made my daughter want to go back and watch some of the ones she hasn't seen as many times. It was so cute though, because as the video was on, she's like, "Seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it." What video was this? Uh, I'll find it for you. It was on YouTube. It's one of those, you know, that genre of like, uh, here's a short video about movies. Yep. Um, but it was, what was it about? It was about, I think it might be, I'm sure you'll disapprove some way about it, but it was right up your alley in terms of like, what is it that's special about Miyazaki? Like, don't call him the Disney of Japan. He's doing something very different. The, the, my favorite part of it was, and I feel like this is kind of the crux of the video, is something we've talked about and I, I still had never quite exactly got my hands around which is the like it's not just the backgrounds it's not just the weather it's all the little things that people do and basically saying how Miyazaki and his team are so good at just showing like a little way you brush your hair away or like when the girl in Spirited Away puts her shoes on she kind of kicks the toes to make sure that they're on just and then they, he just shows this while he's talking this montage of all these tiny little what do they call it in Westworld little um uh, reveries. Little reveries. Just these little things. You go, oh, God, that's exactly what a little kid does. That's like exactly how they would wipe their face after eating an egg. That, like, it says everything about these characters without saying, hey, look at this character being developed. And it's like, yes, yes. That is, that is a lot of what I love about it. Even when nothing is quote unquote going on in those movies, I just like, I just like watching like May looking at the tadpoles. You know, it just makes me happy. Yeah. Part of, part of that with the, all uh, the Studio Ghibli movies is, even after seeing Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is this sort of documentary about sort of, sort of depressing, and, and, sort of depressing yeah, documentary, very, very strange thing. Even after seeing that, maybe because it's at such a remove, because we don't speak the language and there's not constant press in our face about this animation studio or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's almost as if, like for for the uh, American or for the English language equivalents, I feel like I know so much more about their process. Another company that I think of that does this that makes movies is Pixar in terms of the attention to detail to the little things like that. But I personally haven't heard all the stories of about how this team of animators, you know, so carefully researched and executed these tiny things that we see in the movies. Like it's almost as just like, you know, magic elves came and made this movie and you didn't get to see all the work and didn't have to see 20 stories about how they right, right. you know hear the same story about how someone noticed how his daughter takes off her shoes that way and that's why they put it in the movie it's just there right and the same thing with every other thing in the movie hey, i wonder if what if some of that's happening sort of what the I don't know what the phrase would be like kind of down down the credits a little bit like some of that is something where the director might go oh that's really cool but like it might be something just some little thing from a storyboard that wouldn't get wouldn't come out in a documentary that's talking just to the primary creators. 
Right. I mean, you don't know where they come from. That's the whole thing. Like, but it, that every scene, every background, every item is imbued with that, and uh, they also kind of get away with it because very few of the movies are set in the actual world that we know. It's always this weird amalgam of like Europe and Japan, and you know, uh, post-war and pre-war, and and magic realism and medieval times, and just a strange mix of influences. So there's not you can't really pin it down. Although you see what the different influences are. Yeah. Like. Is Kiki's Town an accurate reproduction of Geneva or Germany or Sweden or Japan? Or it's no, it's none of those things, but it's all of those things. Yeah, like look at time. look at Howl. I mean, Howl's Moving Castle, especially. You can tell it's pre twentieth century or early twentieth century somewhere in Europe. But you can't. We talked about this on the incomparable. You can't even count on the signs in, right. in something and like. Then, but then, then, of course, then there's magic things flying around too. Right on top right. of it all. The uh, video is called Hayao hmm, Miyazaki, The Essence of Humanity, and it is in show notes. You're probably right that I probably won't like it, because I've seen a lot of Miyazaki things on YouTube, and almost every one of them I watch, I say, that's not what I think of Miyazaki, yeah. and you're wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that a lot when I watch it. I mean, everyone can enjoy it for what they want, but I'm, um, you know, you're always looking for the video that gets to the heart of what you experience when you watch the movies so you can say yes yes exactly that you have you know you have crystallized the the thing that i take away from the movies and everyone you know takes better sometimes they're just plain wrong but yeah. other times it's just a difference of opinion but i'll check it out maybe I, I may not have seen this one i confess i usually don't seek these things out i'm uh there's very few movie related youtube things that i will seek out i'll, I'll watch every frame of painting whenever it comes out but that's about it. That was my gateway drug, I think. And that got me into that Nerdwriter 1 guy. And now, to be honest, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, bleh, I'm not really ready. I, I want to watch Westworld when I'm really ready to pay attention. I'm not ready to get into that right now. Well, I hope you're avoiding spoilers. It's going to be tough for you. Well, I know the big reveal of the penultimate episode, and I watched... <laughs> You're ruining it for yourself. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? What? No, no, no. I saw, no I, saw, I saw that one twice. I saw that one twice. Watch. Westworld? Well, oh, the... wait, no. I th- are you watching Westworld or are you not? Yes. All right. I thought you said you weren't. I thought you said you were saving. No, it. no. But like, for example, so this is, I told you, didn't I tell you about this? I don't know who I'm talking to anymore. I do too many shows. We're, we're, all, we're all the same, not you. But I was so, hmm, they're hmm, all named John. I was so frustrated that like, I, I kept hearing about, ooh, 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 something big happened in this penultimate episode, which is, you know, Sunday before last. And of course, freaking Google News. I did not ask for this. It was one of those, are you still interested in Westworld? Uh, mm-hmm. And it was right there. Like, And it was like, oh, come on. But uh, um, you, you you have cracks in your you don't have cracks in your system. Your system is made of cracks. Yeah. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm finding myself less interested in in the news. Um, I should walk away. No, no. But what I'll do is I'll sit there and I'll just I got the YouTube red now, and I'll sometimes just go and let go and let God. I'll just go to the recommended, and there's frequently like some you know my as you know my taste is bad and my bar is low, and I'll frequently find uh, a couple things I like. Yeah, the only other movie one I occasionally watch is I watch, was it Movie Bob or something like that, hmm. who is also very, very often just completely, I'm going to say completely wrong, but his opinion is very often the exact opposite of mine. But I get a kick out of it. I can tell you all of my subscriptions. They're very easy. CGP Grey, Nerdwriter 1, Late Show with Colbert, No Small Parts. Do you watch No, no Small Parts? Never heard of it. <clears throat> it's a series on uh, actors... What what we once would have called character actors, people with small roles in movies, people like 
Uh, Anne Ramsey, Warwick Davis, Crispin Glover, Peter Dinklage, people, well, that's kind of a funny one. But No Small Parts, that's good. Now You See It, another one of those. Bad Lip Reading, of course. Every Frame of Painting. Uh, Tiny Hamster World. Um, uh, AV Club. And I'm experimenting with Napflix, which is like, uh, I think if they don't have much up, you have to pay for it, but it's uh, deliberately boring stuff. Yeah. I'd read you my subscription list if I could find it, because if you go to subscriptions, it just shows you a time-sorted like list of, oh, here they are, way down in the, in the sidebar. But I can't scroll to it, so who cares? Oh, what a mess. What a mess. Can't. Oh, this interface is not my friend. You know what I don't like? I wish they quit pushing Watch Mojo at me. Watch Mojo, like, it seems like, but it's it's like listicle type. Here's the 17 things you didn't notice in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Number 17. Scott Pilgrim was originally... Ugh, it's so formulaic. You know what I mean? So give me a, give me a few yeah, years. My, my kids my kids love those. It's not Movie Bob. Sorry. I, I missed the wrong thing. It's Movies with Mikey on the Chainsaw Suit channel. Oh, okay. You, I think you will get a kick out of these because... Again, a lot of them are just, you know, it's it's one person and there's an affectation and a style to it. And they mostly get out of the way quickly. And sometimes he gets real worked up about something. And a lot of times he's missing the forest of the trees. But it's a lot of movies that we've both seen. So try movies with Mikey in the Chainsaw Suit original channel on YouTube. Got it. Saved. There's a bunch of other crap there, too. I don't know what that other crap is, but I just ignore it. That's right. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Foot Cardigan. Hey, new sponsor. You can learn more about Foot Cardigan by going to footcardigan.com. And when you go there, make sure and use the very special offer code DIFFS at checkout, D-I-F-F-S. That'll get you 10% off any subscription. Hey, what's a subscription? What, 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 what's a foot cardigan? What's going on? You're confusing me, Merlin. I thought this was a podcast about uh, free will. Well, here's the thing. Let me answer your question with a question. Let me answer your question with an array of four questions, as John Syracuse would say. Hey, number one, do you want to be known as the best gift giver in the whole wide world? Have you ever wished that the sock fairy would pay you a visit? Mm-hmm. Do you want your feet to be the envy of everyone you know? Do you want awesome socks delivered to your mailbox? Yes, 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 yes. If the answer to any of these is yes, Foot Cardigan, they're here to make it happen for you. Here's why. Foot Cardigan delivers fun socks every month right to your doorstep. They ensure your feet never have to be seen out in public in plain white socks ever again. I've lived that nightmare. I'm not going to do it. Best part, you don't have to choose what pair you get. What? Yes, that's right. Every month, you're going to get a surprise pair of socks in the mail, and the surprises are the greatest. Starting at just $9 a month, foot cardigan socks are a fantastic holiday, birthday, or any day gift, and we all want to make sure we get our cards out in time for any day. You could just treat yourself to your own subscription to uh, foot cardigan. Do it yourself. No shame. Treat yourself. Foot cardigan has socks for men, has socks for women, has socks for kids. Socks, socks, socks. A bunch of different styles, too. So if you or someone you know are more of a no-show kind of sock wearer, well, maybe a little luxury sock, don't worry. Foot Cardigan still got your feet covered, quite literally, in fact. This is such a fun idea. You know, holiday gifts can be such a drag. Get somebody something fun that they don't expect. And let's be honest, who really expects socks in the mail? Give it to them. Treat yourself. So you go to Foot Cardigan right now, and you're going to get 10% off any order with the coupon code DIFFS. And at footcardigan.com, you enter the promo code DIFFS, you get 10% off any subscription. That's a really good deal. Surprise socks. Thanks so much to Foot Cardigan for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. No, I was thinking of Movie Bob. That is a thing, though, right? Movie Bob. Gotta be. 
Movie Bob. Combination of uh, Blog Spot. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Anyway, that's not what I, I crossed the wires there. Yeah. My apologies to Mikey. He's a part time independent filmmaker, part time mm-hmm. amateur film critic, and full time movie geek. He's heterosexual, a Pisces, and a severely lapsed <laughs> Catholic. This might not be the one you're thinking of. It's got it's got a flag uh, in the header. No, no, I just I don't know that popped into my head. It shows how much how attached I am to it that I just yeah. he's, he's a tireless enemy of censorship. Tireless considers mm-hmm. his personal politics quote unquote libertine and enjoys acting as a full time irritant to overly serious people of all political stripes. That's movie Bob. Yeah, maybe I came across that during another <laughs> when when exploring another subject. So just in brief, if you want, or at length, if you want, because we got a big topic tonight. Um, last time we talked, we recorded, I think, uh, just under two weeks ago tonight. Not that that matters. As we record this, it is November 21st, Monday, November 21st, which means that uh, last time we talked was the eve of the election, the eve of my jury duty. But also, as it turns out, the eve <laughs> of the election. Those two things don't weigh quite as heavily on my mind. You don't suffer from anxiety. The eve of Merlin's jury duty. I remember it so well. You don't. You don't suffer from this like I do. Mm. The jury duty part? No, no, I do not. <laughs> I just go and get it over with. I never get picked. That's the way I like it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Maybe I would like to be on a jury. I don't know. They never pick me. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I get plenty of it. Although I'm, my name is on the list twice. As who was that? Was that you with the name on the well, list? Well, that's twice? me. That's me. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the other guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, everybody I keep running into keeps reminding me about jury nullif- nullification. I say, I know I've seen the CGP Gray video, but uh, mm, first of all, I'm not yeah. sure I believe in that. And second of all, uh, you know, I don't want to get trouble with the judge. If your goal is to constantly get out of jury duty, then you deserve the jury full of people who didn't want to get out of jury duty. Like just you know, the civics class people. Not, yeah. It's not a secret game to figure out how to get out of jury duty. Yeah, so funny. We all we all walk around. Maybe this leads to our mini topic, but we all walk around with this very fervent belief, or this very fervent. Um, it's a tentpole of our understanding about about the one thing that we know is that we're right about stuff. We we know that we see stuff a certain way, and a lot of the same people who could walk around all the time with utter certitude about how well their mind aligns with how the world operates, and yet they would think like. Ask yourself, like, who would be better on a jury than you? Anybody else? Well, then maybe you're not that smart. Because if you're that smart, we need you on a jury. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just the general thing. Like, for the system to work, like, it, you can't be a game where everybody is trying to not be on a jury. Because then who's left being on the jury? The people who didn't want to play the game? Or the people who want just, it has to be, anyway. Get a bunch of pain in the ass uh, innocent bystanders. <sighs> what was that from? Uh, I want to say The Godfather. No, no, probably Goodfellas. No, mm. no, no, no. It's Clemenza on why you want the gun to be loud. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Hmm. Pain in the ass. I think it's when he's uh, prepping Mike. He was all real proud of you. You did the incomparable. I was too. I was way too intimidated to do that, but I just want to say I really enjoy The Godfather movies. I just want to get that out there. They're pretty good yeah, movies. There's, there's two. When two comes up, hmm. it could be tactically deployed. <laughs> <laughs> Three is two. Two is one. Um, Ow, my ears, says Mike. Yeah, I left it noisy. That way it scares any pain in the ass innocent bystanders away. All you right. got it. There we go. You shot them both. Now what do you do? 
sit down and finish my dinner. Come on, kid, don't <laughs> fool around. His <laughs> <laughs> delivering that one is good too. Oh, it's you know, so good, and and in the uh, I know I know that I'm just you're just repeating something lots of other people pointed out probably on the making of video, but in the restoration, Mike's face in the restaurant. You, I mean, maybe you've seen this. I never saw the twitches the way that I saw the twitches in the remastered, you know, the um, cleaned up version. But man, his face is just this this topography of pain, doubt, and anger. And like all the different parts of his face seem to disagree on what to do. And he looks scared and he looks mad. And it's like, ah, oh, it's oh, so, so well done. I love yeah, that scene. Twitch, twitch from the other guy. The other guy has a pretty big twitch. It's in the long scene. It might be after they're talking Italian. And there's the long, yeah. I think it's right before Mike does what he's going to do. And there's just a real long shot where. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're just holding on his face while the other guy's talking. Yeah. And, but, and his eyes are kind of big. And ah, just you see this whole range of emotions play over his face. My goodness, what a good movie. He was on Fresh Air the other day talking about that. Mm. What's his name? Was on there talking about it. How he's basically uh, he's Coppola. Like, I have that in uh, my uh, overcast. He's too. like, he's like, I twenty was twenty nine years old, had no money, had no power. He's like, I was just basically hoping that I could like fool the studio into making the movie I wanted to make. Glad he did it. So now it's thirteen days later. Um, you mentioned that you might want to uh, talk a little bit about the election or about something know. related to the election. Uh, I don't. I thought it might be connected to the free will topic. I don't know if I even want to talk about it. Spoiler, sweetie. <laughs> The, the election, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, in some ways, it was therapeutic to listen to our episode before it all happened. They have like a recording of me in the before times. I know, I know. <laughs> um, my biggest worry was jury duty. Yeah, although even then, like, it's not like I was just optimistic and chipper and thinking everything was going to go well. Like, I was on, I think, the same page. Well, maybe it's not from listening to you talk about it. I, I think you were actually more optimistic than I was because I, I had this feeling of dread for months leading up to it and it never went away and like i just tried to chill out and just say it's going to be what it's going to be but the the feeling of dread was never replaced with optimism or anything like i'm not going to say like i knew it would turn out this way but like i never i never let go of the possibility that it would so maybe that prepared me a little bit but on the other hand i never got a break just always been just this long downhill slide i did not have a single dread i did not have one well-defined dread i had dozens of like middle-sized dreads that was what I was trying to say last time was like, I really thought she was going to win. I really thought she, up until what? Six o'clock Pacific. Well, that's what I'm saying. You thought she was going to win for it. Like I, I never, I could never bring myself to believe it that she was really? going to win. Like yeah. I could never like, you know, and that's why I just wanted the day to come and say the day will convince me because the day will be like, you never believed it, but it's going to happen anyway. So tough luck. I, I can never bring myself to, to get on board with it. And so when it didn't happen, I'm like, yeah, that was the feeling that that was exactly the feeling I had. <laughs> Yeah. Right. It was like nothing was shocking or surprising. And I didn't follow it closely like you were listening to the podcast and everything about it and listen yeah. to the analysis. I'm just like, God, boy, yeah. that's it's grim. How does it relate to, um, now that John's uh, let the cat out of the bag, we're going to talk about free will tonight. How do you feel like it relates to free will? I think Westworld relates to free will. How do you think the election uh, relates yeah, to Westworld free will? Yeah, Westworld does too, but we can't really dive into Westworld, I feel like, because there's too many spoilers and we don't want to like shift it to the... Well, for our special you know. 40th episode, we wouldn't want to spoil anything. Right. This is our special 40th episode, but we will talk about free will, but probably not spoil Westworld for you, for you which you should watch as soon as possible before it's like let's, entirely let's, spoiled by the internet. Yeah, let's save that. Let's save that. Yeah. What's your thinking with the election? Yeah, but so I, I think it's connected. I think we talked about this before. I don't remember on what topic, but 
like after the election start to go into you know into that dark place and one of one of my dark places is sort of the machiavellian notion that i'm pretty sure we discussed on a past show about the difference between figuring out what the truth is and convincing people of things. We talked about that in the John's Rationality episode, like when I was saying, yeah. were you ever, did you do forensics and stuff like that? And after the election, I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to get real attracted to the idea of the skill set of convincing people of things, regardless of, you know, everything else. It's like, would you have hired the team that could have convinced everybody else to go your way if to do it they had to convince people that oranges had legs yes <laughs> yeah i would say if that's what's going to take yeah. if you've done the math and figured out uh, we need to convince people that oranges have tiny legs you don't see them but they're in there and they come out and oranges walk around and you'd be like well why wh- how is that and just don't ask questions uh, listen listen this is how the little machines work and to to get the result you want don't question my methods this is what has to be done and if it turned out they were right, I, you know, like that kind of, because you know, in the end, that's what the job of a campaign is. Like, and you see this in every reenactment or fictionalization or half fictionalization of political campaigns, people whose job it is professionally to do what it takes to get you elected. Now, within bounds, they're not supposed to do anything illegal, shouldn't do anything that actually hurts other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's, there's ethical boundaries uh, within those things, but the ethical boundaries that don't apply very often to political campaigns is you shouldn't lie it's like whoa 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 we shouldn't lie and a lot of a lot of the people whose job it is to just say like i get paid based on my ability to get you elected my job is not to tell the truth my job is to do what it takes to get you elected right and if that means spreading misinformation or just outright lying for the intended effect isn't that terrible and isn't that unethical right and that's the type of line like the, the person whose job it is to do that like to figure out what do I have to do to make other people do a certain thing, vote a certain way. And just to figure out what that is and having the mind of that team of people doing that be entirely clear of, I don't care what your policies are. I don't care what you're going to do when you're in office. All I care about is my job, which is get you elected. And then it's just a question of those boundaries. Obviously still don't want to do anything legal. Still don't want to do anything that's going to hurt anybody. Still don't want to outright lie, probably, but like you start to, you know, you start to do this, uh, this bargaining with your values. I'm like, well, you know, what if they have to tell a couple white lies for the greater good? What's better? What's worse? And as I said, it's a dark place. It's a place I don't want to go, place I don't like thinking about, and I try to pull myself out from, but it gets into the topic of free will because one of the things that I think people hold on to with the idea of free will is how how difficult it is to get a bunch of people to do a thing right hmm. and i guess i mean i don't, I don't know I, I i think we're just going to lead right into free will this but i, I feel like I, I have a thing i have a position on free will but I, I really want you to if you have a position you should probably go first is what i'm saying well i have a little bit of stuff to say about what you just said um for those just tuning in, I'm still in a period of, um, as I said on Roderick, sitting with my wrongness. I'm still trying to just be wrong for a while and think about stuff and listen to lots of stuff. 
And I have not felt moved to do tons more of what didn't win us the election. <laughs> I have not. Sorry. But, um, um, but I, you know, one thing I, I, yeah, I have been listening to podcasts and there's been a couple of things people have said that got through all the morass and all the kind of gray muck of post election that really hit me between the eyes. One of them was, um, this week's on the media was, um, better, better than usual. It was good. Somebody on that show said something about Steve Bannon, uh, a quote from Steve Bannon that, uh, really got me thinking. And the alleged quote from Steve Bannon was, facts get shares, opinions get shrugs. And you can parse that however you want, but here's how I parse that. Holy crap. If you present something as an effa- as a fact, whether or not it's a fact, I mean, <laughs> what what is a fact? You present something as a fact, especially if you put that fact in front of people who have whatever, worldview, confirmation bias, whatever you liberals want to call it, (laughs) if that's a quote-unquote fact that that person agrees with, it has much more weight than something that's presented as an opinion. And so we we brought a knife to a nuclear war. We we came into this situation where we're trying to assume this, like... um, rational actor approach from lots of people that they're going to look for something that is the truth. And we, being the people who lost this election, fought really hard to say, no, that's not true. This is what's true. This is what's true. But that sounds like an opinion because we're not presenting a fact that comports with that person's reality. Right, wrong, otherwise. Like, that's how that's how it got lost. The other thing I heard just today, listening actually to Trumpcast, was a guy that was on who has made a study of uh, of, of Hitler. And, and the Nazis, and one of the things that he talked about, he was, he was sup- don't take that on face value. This guy is very circumspect about whether and when it is appropriate to compare anything to anything in history. But he did say something that's really true, which is that one of the tenets of, of fascism is that truth is what it needs to be. Truth is more of a force, truth becomes a force of will more than it becomes a reflection of something that can be proven in the world. And of all of all the kinds of things that I've been hearing, those are things that whether or not I agree with them or think they're right or wrong, I feel like I see that in what happened. And that that's not making it any easier for me to pull out of this dive when I realize that that's, that's the war that we lost. We, I mean, there's one way, in that, one way in which you could say this got won because a lot of people heard what they wanted to hear from the places that they wanted to hear it. And there's no way to really fight that. Well, there is, though, because like I, I look back on the past elections that the Democrats have won, and I feel like they did exactly the same thing. Told people what they wanted to hear. But they were they were lying keep, within normal parameters, right? I, I, who, who even knows that they're lying? It's just a question of a message, like it, with Obama's message of hope and change or whatever. It's like you could say it's all BS or whatever, but it was what it took to get elected, right? Yeah. And so, and, and not, I mean, and that's, not wholly, that's not how it's wholly always wrong. played. It's not, no one has ever won an election with facts. Like it's all about appeal to emotion and a good slogan and a personality and charisma like that's that's what politics is right that's why you have those people whose job it is to get you elected right yeah you just hope that the 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 raw materials and the skills are there to get the people who actually implement uh you know helpful policies or the whatever policies you agree with uh in and uh yeah like this and so this one being so counterfactual on one side uh i think brought a lot of people back to like okay well politics is politics but when you're this incredibly just wrong on the facts all the time and so terrible surely that will override those other things and the answer is no it doesn't override it like but i mean you think about think about something like let's say the fall of 2015 especially the late summer but even into the fall and into winter it was like any day now 
it's going to become clear that this is a guy who says something completely over the top, then says he didn't say the thing that was over the top, and then basically says, well, if I did say the thing that was over the top, I didn't mean it, and then in a follow-up says, well, of course I meant the thing that was over the top. And that's a really different that's a really different kind of opponent to deal with from somebody where you disagree on millage rates. Yeah. This this is a thought I had as a kid, which unfortunately is like come back to haunt me in my adulthood. But thought I had as a kid, as a as a young, stupid, naive kid, was all these politicians who do all these things to, to get elected and, and, you know, act like politicians and kiss the babies and shake the hands or whatever. Someday there will be someone who finally just acts normal and does not act politically in any way just is their own raw self uh and everyone will say you can't get elected being like that because you're going to say all the things that can't be said but in the end the american people with their rugged individuality will, will have a grudging respect for this person and connect with them at a human level and elect them i never envisioned it would be a terrible person like trump i just envisioned it would be someone who didn't want to play the political game uh and would just be himself. Ross Perot was a little bit like that. Well, don't you think old, of maybe somebody like Barney Frank? And, Barney Frank a little bit? Nah, maybe. I mean, he was he's a pretty good politician. But, you know, Ross Perot was not a practice politician, said what the hell he wanted because he was old, but he wasn't particularly charismatic or whatever. But, like, but that was my idea in my youth. Like, that was the way to hack the political system was to not play the game, to go outside of it. It's essentially what Trump did uh, combined with a bunch of other factors. But I feel like like that, that's that's one version of what got in there but i really feel like looking the reason i have this feeling of dread is this election was not won or lost in the last two years this election was won or lost in the last several decades because of the specific people involved and because of the power structures that have been created like that you know rush limbaugh talk radio fox news that's decades that's decades and decades of having exclusively grima worm tongue style the ear of huge sections of the population to feed them exactly the propaganda you want to feed them to demonize the people you want to demonize for decades right yeah to come back from that in a, in a single campaign and to turn that around it's not easy right uh so i think the specific person of hillary was a problem because of just the literal decades of absolute unrelenting poison put into the ears of a huge amount of the population about her specifically and her and everything associated with that not to say that anyone else could have done better or anything like that but like that was a factor right uh and just the the entire enculturation of like accepting uh you know a self-reinforcing uh unrelentingly uh negative worldview of everything that is not what the republicans in rush limbaugh george Bush, or whatever says like that you know like there was the whole, you know the the truth has a liberal bias and all that other crap but like right. the thing has always struck me about the the balance and then you know it's that democrats are their own worst enemies because uh they're they're the party that has some tiny inkling of intellectual honesty somewhere lurking inside it that they that they have self-doubt and will try to and, I, and that's they are the party of, well, wait a second, are we sure about that? And that's the worst party to be because no one wants to hear that, right? Whereas for my entire life, basically, Republicans have been the party of no self-examination. No, don't say, wait a second, am I sure about that? You're immediately weak, right? And then, so obviously, like, and that's, you know, we see the Democrats feeling bad in the same way I was. Like, you know, if we, if only we had told them that oranges had feet, we could have won. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not you know, uh, the... The snooty uh, academic elite 
uh, you know, intellectual neurotic people are always going to be questioning themselves. They're always going to feel compelled to make sure they're being honest and stuff like that. And it, they can't become the, they can't turn themselves the other way and say, we're just going to do this, whatever it takes to get elected. And we're going to have a false sense of confidence. And, you know, they, the only way they win is when they're actually confident, right? When they actually have belief, right? They can't, they can't fake it and they can't just use bravado and bluster and just be, you know, and have that unified front that the Republicans have even even with Trump, you know, it broke down a little bit, but watch them all fall back in line. And like, that's that's just the nature of the game. That's why, you know, the news is liberal, because questioning power and questioning authority is the the exclusive domain of one party in, in most of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, questioning actual power, not imagined power. But anyway, I know I'm trying to listen to big political thing, but like, I, yeah. I feel like this this election was not about this election. This election was about decades and decades of of uh very consistent you talk about parenting consistency very consistent uh conditioning and and uh you know persuasion uh that just culminated in in uh, this eventuality this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you by casper casper the folks who make those wonderful mattresses and bedding yeah you know it that's casper you can learn more about them right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven and inflated prices. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly onto you, the sleep-desirous consumer. Its award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design and is delivered in an impossibly small box. I can vouch for this. It is a great mattress, and the box is, as they say, impossibly small. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Now, you got to understand, this in-house team of engineers, they spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam. It's, it's a new kind of a hybrid mattress. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature through the night. If there's one thing that I like to regulate at night, it is my temperature. Casper helps me with that. Can we talk about prices for a minute? Sure we can. This is my show. Mattresses can often cost well over 1500 American dollars, but Casper mattresses, so much less expensive, so much less costly. About $500. $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, all the way up to $950 for a king. That is what I have. That is what I have slept on for two years every night, and I love it, love it, love it. And these are all made in America. So you can feel good about your country, which is a nice thing. So convenient. Buying a Casper mattress, it is completely risk-free. They have free delivery, free returns, free, 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 free to the U.S. and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. It seems bananas, but it's what it says right here that I'm supposed to read. How is that even possible? Well, here's the thing. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering that's where you're going to spend a third of your life. You do not want to go to one of those places out by the old mall where a guy in a necktie makes you lay on a bed for four minutes and say, hey, are you ready to drop four figures? I don't think so. Not how it works with Casper. Now, here's the thing. You get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using that special offer code diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper. 
for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. What's the uh, so? What's the hook into free will? Or let's uh, let's transition into uh, into free will because I honestly am not sure where the handle is for free will. I, it's obviously an interesting, very huge topic, and I feel utterly at sea with it. What's what's our way in with this? Well, like I said, at first I'm gonna, I want to. We should start with what with your take on free will because I don't want to just go and say oh, here's God. what I think and that's that. I want I want to hear. And, you know, for, you asked before the show, is there something I should read or look up about this? Like you tell me you haven't thought about this. Like this this is isn't this a thing that everybody thinks well, about? Well, like, of course it is, but grade? it's but it's like it's like bong talk. I mean, to me, talking about free will, <laughs> bong like, talk. Yeah, yeah bong talk. It's a great talk show. Welcome back to bong talk. With Merlin Man. Hi. Have you ever thought about your hand? I mean, really, 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 really thought, about, thought your about your hand. I haven't. I've, I've, you know, never taken pot, so I don't know. Hi, it's uh, Merlin, a first-time caller. How would I know if I was living in the fingernail of a uh, giant? Mm-hmm. I'll take my exactly. answer off the air. Um, no, just in the sense that, like, you know, I, I enjoyed modern philosophy class i thought at one point i wanted to be a philosophy person but i uh i don't have the i don't have the brain for it um i i will be very interested in thinking about an idea and the implications of an idea but uh i'm not a super smart person i'm a clever person clever people should not talk about philosophy smart people should and i get really lost in what feels like bong talk about these things that we can't prove. So here's what I think. Here's what I think I know. What I think I know is that there is an idea, um, probably not just in Western culture, but there's an important idea. I'm certainly in Judeo-Christian culture, I guess, but there's, there's an idea that, that human beings and existentialism, there's, there's a, an idea that each one of us has the ability to make decisions in life, um, mostly unfettered, by the rest of the universe. Yes, there's things like gravity. Yes, there's there are laws and things like that. But I was trying to explain this to my daughter today and saying what a what a tizzy I'm in trying to think about this. But the basic idea came down to the and, and I'm hoping it's not this. I hope it's something else. But the way it used to be when you sat around with your pals in the quad and talked about free will versus determinism, it usually came down to this, which is really boring to me. Which is okay, either and I know this is not really an either, but it's usually presented as this either. Either Human beings have free will, meaning that they are independently making choices about what to do, how to conduct themselves in the universe in a way that could change at any time. And then usually up against that is determinism, which is the idea that you have no way to do, you are on, there is no multiverse, that basically there's the one way that you're doing it, you will always do it that way. If it was done over, there's no way it would happen any differently. You only have an illusion of choice to choose this option over that option. And then I, I know there's shades along the way, but I don't. When we get we get into those discussions, I would excuse myself to refill my coke because I would feel completely adrift very quickly. And uh, so that that's my basic background. I read a couple things today, but I don't feel any smarter than I did yesterday about free will. And I I'm not really sure I understand. It's I feel a little bit like we're talking about the simulation thing, where it's like, well, if we did, if we were in a simulation, how would we know, and would it matter? And I think with free will, a lot of people's pushback on any idea that free will is anything other than what it appears to be either leads from, hey, no, you don't tell me what to do, or B, hey, our whole system of Christian ethics falls apart if we don't believe that people have the ability to choose the right thing. (laughs) 
No, I, I like the people who are worried about uh, moral systems falling apart. That's my favorite uh, free will scare. I think that's uh, I think that's uh, that's big. That's big will. I mean, that's isn't that a big part of this particular line of thinking? Is that it's almost like a it's like a twist on Descartes. Well, it's like well, because I can conceive of free will, it must exist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that I mean. All right, I'm I'm an engineering major. I did, I took some electives. Wait, wait a minute, I, you, you, know, you you're yeah. engineering major, is that right? Right. Wow. And so, uh, I feel like this is one of these episodes where everything we talk about is going to be like a half glimpsed, half form idea that someone in a cave wrote down thousands of years ago. <laughs> We're not. There will be no new ideas in this podcast. I'm Send sorry it to, to feedback at example dot org. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know. So. Yeah, and, and and in the way that if people are talking on the quad and they're citing like real things and real philosophers, I can't play with that. I don't know anything about them. I'm sure. Well, and, the, they, and the, the, their proof is to say, well, I just picked up a rock and threw it, and you didn't know I was going to do it. Therefore, I have free will. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, I'm sure every. I'm sure this has been looked at by every angle by people whose names I don't know and some people whose names that I do know. I'm, I'm sure it is well trod territory. But as someone who was a kid and had not gone to college and never would take these courses in college when I went anyway. I had to come to some understanding myself about it. Um, and so I did when I was young and haven't really revisited it since, you know, like it's, it's there. I look at it. No new information has changed things for me about it. So I feel like for me, free will is boring and settled. Um, but it's also one of those things I don't talk about because who, who the hell wants to talk about that? It's a stupid topic. It's not a thing, I, you know, it's worse than religion or politics. It's like free will. Yeah, but it's, it seems, it seems very related to, your background interest in what evolutionary biology like there's you are so frequently in a very interesting and titillating way bringing up this idea well of course my kids are like that because i'm like that so i mean to me more of the nature nurture thing is what seems like the interest with you like there's some kind of a biological thing in place that's that's more of a modeling thing but uh yeah so here here's where i stand on on the on free will thing there's not a unique position i'm sure a million people I'll feel like the same way. Uh, when people talk about this, when people bring the topic up at all, I what I imagine and what I find often is in people's minds are two different angles, and you touched on them already. One is that any discussion of free will brings up the you're not the boss of me uh, reflex, right? Because one way that one way that people conceptualize free will, not like philosophers or people who actually know about this crap, but just regular people conceptualize free will. And when I hear that phrase is by envisioning, and you know, we talked about this so many times, the evolutionary thing, by envisioning some human-like uh, entity or intent, and imagining that that human-like entity or intent controls them. We talked about this before, like how, how the weather, weather is malevolent and how disfigurement means you're a bad person and mm-hmm. like imbuing every single thing that happens with... Because the only way we can conceptualize the world is like, I'm a human, this is my experience of the world, therefore everything in the world is like me. The clouds are like me, the rocks are like me, every other person is like me, the gods are like me. Like, just that the universe is like me, the sun wants to do go up in the morning, come down in the end when it's sad, like... That every single thing in the universe is imbued with human intent. And the concept of free will is the idea that it's something out there with human intent is making me do stuff. And they're not the boss of me. I have my own free will. There is no thing out there making me do things. Let me tell you, buddy. Uh, so th- even the idea that, that, that you know, you could have an argument against free will is 
absurd and offensive because it's the idea that some something else out there is making you do stuff. It's like, no, nothing's making me do things. It's all me. I mean, well, I may do stupid it, things, but, par- but partly it's all as a, me. As a humanist in some ways, right? I mean, it's not purely for religious reasons. It seems like that takes a lot of the agency out of being a, a co-ate human being. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah their, their sense of self as, as an independent actor. Like, just, it, you know, the, the, that is the instinct from which the uh, the objection, or even, like, the, the tantalizing uh, concept of free will. Because the idea, if there is no free will, then there must be some thing making me do the stuff. And that thing is the thing that's controlling me, and I don't want to think that I'm controlled, and I don't want to be controlled, and I don't think I am controlled, therefore that's BS. Second part of it is, uh, the, the anti-free will thing is related, but more of a dispassionate stance, which is, so are you telling me that somehow something out there, again, usually with human temper, knows what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Because if there isn't free will and a bunch of people making independent choices, what you're telling me is that it's possible to know what's going to happen next. And I don't like the idea of anybody or anything knowing what's going to happen next because i don't know what's going to happen next and as far as i'm aware nobody i know knows what's going to happen next so there shouldn't be anybody who can know what to happen happens next because that seems wrong and what would be the point of everything if someone already knows how this is all going to turn out like what's the point of anything the whole you know this is one other thing that can crumble is like your sense of purpose it's like well if there's something out there that knows how everything's going to turn out what the hell's the point of doing anything because everything's going to happen the way it's going to happen is just you know the you know nihilism or whatever and the, the whole world is pointless yeah kind of all, all like a why bother yeah, so those two things, I think, are the the foundations of the reasons people like to say that, of course, there's free will. Because they don't want to feel like they're bossed, and they don't want to feel like anybody knows what's going to happen, right? And, you know, for, for, for the layperson, philosophically speaking, um, I feel like you can't talk to them about anything that is going to lead to either one of those eventualities, because it is, it, you know... Is something with which uh, up with which they will not put, as the saying goes, uh, or as I would say in ATP, this cannot stand. Right now, setting that aside for a second, my take on free will, based on everything I've learned in my short life so far, uh, is that there is no effect without cause, and everything is deterministic. And in that sense, there is no free will in that what's going to happen is going to happen in the same way that if you dump a bucket of marbles out on the floor, they're going to go where they're going to go, and a marble can't decide it's going to go straight up to the ceiling. It's, it's going to turn out the way it's going to turn out, right? We're just a series of cascading particles banging into each other, reacting in deterministic ways, and that's it. And why do I think that? Because so far, we haven't found anything that you know an effect without a cause other than you can say like well where did everything come from yep sure go cosmology like you know i'm all on board with that but you got to show me you know like (laughs) you got to have the effect without the cause where is the thing that changed without a thing that changed it and if there's always something that changes it uh you know like we always want to think that the elementary particles have little brains inside them but as far as we know they don't they don't have little brains inside them they don't have little wills just a bunch of particles banging against each other and they come out the way they come out there's no will there's no place for will there it's just entirely it's the entirely deterministic mechanized view of the universe and but here, here's when i get back to the other two things i think that this this view of the universe which is our you know as best as we can tell the way things work these days um fits perfectly well 
with people's need to uh, to not feel like someone who's bossing them around knows what's going to happen. All right. So the first thing, there's no one bossing them around because, uh, in my view, is there's no big driver uh, making the thing smash into each other. There's no one deciding at every particle collision what's going to happen. Right. There is mm-hmm. no there is no boss of me making me do these things any more than there's a boss of the marbles that are tumbling out. The marbles of the, are not waiting for a, like a work request. The bucket. So if you're afraid that there's someone out there making you act a certain way, rest assured that is not the case. So you could say, all right, well, I feel better now that there's no boss of me out there making me act a certain way, making me do a certain thing. You could say, oh, are the laws of physics the boss of me? But that's so boring and it doesn't have a human personality and it's not like having sex with swans and doing other things that the humanized gods are supposed to do or whatever, right? So you should feel comfortable with that. And you can say, oh, okay, well, there's no boss to me. I feel better. And for the people who feel like, but I don't want anybody knowing what happens. The problem with the knowing what happens thing is if we had an entirely deterministic mechanized universe where everything is going to happen the way it's going to happen, the only way you could know what's going to happen next is to essentially know everything about every bit of stuff in the universe. I mean, sort of the, the initial position and velocity and all the rules that govern the interaction of every single piece of matter in the entire universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where would you keep that information? Where would you, how much information would you need about each, each particle? How many particles are there? How small or whatever, but how many, how much information we need about each particle? You need its position. You need its velocity. You need its, you know, you need some information about it. How would you store that? We're assuming that this is a, forgive me sounding glib. I don't mean to sound glib, but this is assuming that there's not a multiverse. Oh, no, no, you can, by all means, have a multiverse, right? But so here's the thing, like, if, if you have to keep information about, you know, like whatever the smallest particle is, whatever the infinitesimal thing, whatever the rule set is, you've, I, like, I actually know the rules. I know the whole rules of the universe, which we don't know now, right? Like, I know, I know everything's going to interact. I know how the smallest thing that we care about for modeling purposes that will correctly predict. If you just give me the initial conditions, I can play it out and just play it and play it and play it. And I can tell you what's going to happen at any point in time, backwards and forward, because it's all totally deterministic. To play, the place where you would need to keep all that information and essentially compute it would have to be bigger than the universe that it's predicting. And the computation time probably wouldn't be great because, you know, based, if you're trying to simulate the laws of physics, you either have to play it out in real time by essentially having the same universe going and then you can really go backwards and forwards or it would be slower than real time. But either way, there can't be any interaction between the two things. So you can't know in your universe what's going to happen next because the thing that knows is in a different universe that is necessarily not interacting with yours in any way because as soon as you interact with it, then you've got to account for all of your stuff interacting with their stuff and now you need another universe to compute that. Hmm. So basically, if you're worried about somebody knowing what's going to happen next, don't worry about that either because that's not happening unless we're in a simulation. Again, unless we're in a simulation because then you can be totally separated. Like, we'll set that aside. We had a different show about that, right? So if you're worried about someone being the boss of you, and someone's going knowing what's going to happen next. Those are probably not happening. But by, by the same token, you're not making any choices. Everything's turning out exactly the way it was going to do. We're just, we're just a bunch of particles banging together. And I feel like with the moral system breakdown thing, first of all, you don't have to worry about that because things are going to turn out the way they're going to turn out. So it's fine. And it, as it turns out, most people don't believe this crap and they'll make laws and stuff. But second of all, if you want to think of it in a more touchy-feely, less, you know, try not to think about the deterministic universe and, and feel like a cog in it going to go back the other way you just say like isn't it better that all of us particles banging around together in sophisticated ways <laughs> that enough of us believe a certain thing to try to arrange things so that more people are more happy rather than more sad and not all killing each other all the time tends to make people more happy more people happy 
uh, than the other way around. And I mean, like, you don't you don't have to become nihilistic uh, and just if that's the right word or just like not care nothing matters and we should just all be just killing each other because that like that's not gonna make more people happy why do i care that it would make more people happy or not it's just the way my particles bang around with each other like it it's i don't think the denial of of quote-unquote free will with the idea that we live in a mechanized universe necessarily causes anything to crumble and if it does it was always going to cause everything to crumble anyway like it's just like you go around in circles about it but like it's not a thing that that i've worried about and i made my peace with long ago and i see these views as in entirely compatible with each other it's entirely mechanized but it doesn't matter because you can't know how it's going to turn out and nobody else knows either and no one else is driving the ship so just for, for for all intents and purposes it's as if you have free will but you don't it okay so is there a benefit or risk what are the benefits and risk of believing in one and not the other is there is there a benefit uh, I mean, to believing in free will i mean it doesn't really matter like you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, <laughs> that's your point. <laughs> you're gonna believe in it, or you're not gonna believe it. Like, like for, no, for some people, like yeah, believing in it. Look, most people believe in it, right? I would imagine if you surveyed people, most people would believe in it. Well, and, I, I want to like figure it out kind of on these different levels because, I mean, you know, I, and forgive me, I'm the dumb guy here, but like the uh, on the level of, am I gonna have a Coke or a Diet Coke? That feels like a decision that you yeah, can oh, make. Yeah. No, sure. The, the experience of free will is a real, th- real thing. Like, that's our experience of the world through, like, yes, of course we feel like we're choosing because we are, like, that's the problem with free will. People think about it and they, they model it in this weird way because they want to be like, look, I feel like I'm choosing. you telling me I don't feel like it. Of course you feel like you're choosing. That's not free will. As, and my, my definition of it is, is basically like, can you change the way things are going to turn out through some magical force of will that, like, there's nothing in the universe causing me to think this. If somehow I change my mind, like everyone wants to think about something that's outside the universe causing like your brain to choose to do something different. Like it was always like, what is the thing that is outside this cause and effect relationship that we've, that everything we've seen, you know, combined, there is nothing, but it feels that way, doesn't it? Right. And so keep that feeling. The feeling is that's all of our experience of the world and that's fine. And uh, you know, it doesn't change the nature of reality, but it, our experience of the world is that it feels like we have free will and we should keep feeling that way because that's the way it feels to be us. And that's fine. Like, but to, to uh, it, where it goes off the rails is you say, and therefore my brain isn't just a bunch of particles banging together. It's like, well, then what's causing them to change? Oh, magic. Okay. Well, you know, have fun with that. Hmm. Cause that's a whole different thing. But that's why I feel like, you know, a, you should never talk about this, but B most people just want to hold on to like you know this is my experience of the world no one's the boss of me and no one knows what's going to happen it's like you can have all those they're yours take them treasure them you're fine and then people are like oh well that's what i meant by free will therefore we actually agree it's like good okay good fine be happy like you know we get pedantic about the definitions like well you know if that's all you mean by free will and i think that's all most people mean then yep you got it but that's not what i mean by it and that's not what i think the thing actually means and i think and I don't really have one. I'm not really interested in arguing with people who are going to argue on the magic side of things, right? Because it's like, well, you know, where do you go from there, right? Um, <sighs> so that's why it's such a difficult conversation to have, because as in most things, people don't agree on the definitions, and uh, and no one should worry about it because all the things that we care about, free will wise, we've got. It's also instructive, though, that even if you're outside of the sort of um, deistic, supernal ideas behind this, which ultimately are about 
big systems more than they're about quote unquote God. But you know the big the big systems benefit from the idea of you know you you in your next life you could have the reward if you do what this book says, um, or or even just this idea that like I mean gosh you, all the way down to like my sense of self. Uh, is so heavily bound up in the decisions that I've made, whether that's like I'm successful because of this or I'm sad because of that. But most of us, I would imagine at least most Americans, have a very strong feeling that um, lucky breaks aside or happenstance aside or motorcycles coming down the street aside, like that there's a reason things are the way that they are. And that even when they don't always go my way, knowing that that's how the gears of the universe turn gives my life meaning. And without, without that sense of that, the world could seem very cold, very cruel, um, just like a terrible place to be. Well, that's just, that's just operating at a different level. Like that's operating in the, you know, different levels of modeling the world and how things turn out with moral systems and everything. Like You'll 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 drive yourself nuts if you just keep if, if you dwell on the idea that things are deterministic too much. Like even though that's the way it is, like it's it's compl- it's a complicated enough system, and we are complicated enough, and the universe is complicated enough that it doesn't like it almost doesn't matter that it's deterministic because it is so fantastically complicated. It might as well be completely unpredictable because again, like there's nothing in this universe can predict it right and unless we're in a simulation and there's a nice scare uh, you know separation between the program and the execution or whatever and a multiverse is the same type of thing maybe every single thing that can happen does happen right but we're just living in one slice of it that is our experience of reality is that we're living in one slice of it so if the universe is every possibility all happening at once uh, infinite possibilities constantly in one big giant stew and we're just living through one particular path through it fine that's our experience of it whatever but it, you know it doesn't mean that there is something you know like our our silly modeling of how things work like even just the idea of like punishing people who are bad it's like well if there's no free will why would we punish murderers because they had no choice but to do the murder it's like yeah they did have no choice in the the particle physics sense of the world to commit the murders but in the same way we have no choice but to feel bad about them and want to lock them up and try to prevent them you know like it's all you can't have to say okay well i guess we have to let the murderer go free because he had no choice to do it <laughs> that's not you know it's a silly if you, you know, we don't live at the particle physics level. Physics level, we live at the our experience of the world level, and all of our systems are based on that. And we don't know what's going to happen next. And we are not the boss of other people. We have to operate at this level. You can't spend your life. It's you know, if you're worried about law and order and morality crumbling because the world is a deterministic set of uh, particles banging together, like you're mixing, you're, you're mixing levels of abstraction in a non-helpful way. So, uh, I, I don't all the slippery slope arguments that argue against free will because it means that like we can't fault anyone for anything they do is are just ridiculous because like that's not this that's is like the trying to like trying to apply like what like quantum physics to the, your traffic jam right i mean this, this is the fiction we're living in this is our experience of the world and 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 you know and bottom line is you know like not enough people are if you not enough people are on board with that it could turn out that eventually enough people get on board with the idea that uh, oh we realize we're all just a bunch of ping pong balls banging together and we should let murderers go free but uh evolutionarily speaking again to get back to that i don't think that that uh that is selected for <laughs> like i don't i don't see any any uh fitness criteria that's going to cause that that uh that to become more prevalent but who knows you know the uh, time is long it is and it's um I don't know. I don't mean this to be the pot shot that it might seem like, but it does. 
it's it feels kind of instructive to me. I don't know if I I don't know if I would call myself a humanist the way you would once call myself a humanist, or I've done, never really thought of myself as a rationalist. But but it, it is interesting to me that when you ask people about why they think the way they think, or about why they make decisions the way they make decisions, why they do the things that they do, people have their reasons for for why they do those things, you know, and. A lot of times, it's a it's a pretty well thought out reason. It's because well, this is this is because in my experience, this thing tends to work, or you know, based on what I know, this is what tends to happen, or this is my fear. If I don't do that, I'll take it. It is it is kind of um, I'm using interesting in that way that annoying liberals use it. Well, isn't that isn't it interesting the way that people <laughs> isn't it interesting though how these systems that rely on this supernal influence that by definition transcends everything else in the universe that how threatened those systems of morals, ethics, how threatened those things become as soon as you start questioning this a little bit, where it really feels like the the people are genuinely concerned that we will lapse if we don't, if you even like question these things, we're going to lapse into this absolutely like Hobbesian version of like fury road meets the road like everything will melt down if there's not some kind of potentially this big hand from dad that can down can, comes down and smacks us and you know it isn't it isn't a way of saying well you know i i do the things that i do because like that's the kind of person that i want to be or i do the things that i want to do because it seems like the best decision it's it's weird to me like how many of those systems seem to get real antsy when the supernal influence is taken out of it how quickly that turns into utter chaos. Well, I mean, there is there is something to that, like long term, right? I mean, we a lot of our fiction explores that. But like, would you would you would 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 you stop praying? Would one stop praying? In some ways, I've heard it said that the you know the the when I was a kid, they would say that you know the the best prayer is thank you. Um, that you know, there's an idea of what what they call petitionary prayer. The idea of like, well. You give Santa your big list of stuff you hope goes your way. I'd love to get a raise. I'd love to totally donk that chick. I hope I win the lottery. But like, you know, it's – does praying in that case lose – I'm probably way off topic here. But like I, it's just interesting to me when you take a system that has really sound things about it but then take out the – whatever the supernal big hand is, whether that's the big hand of uh, capital E evolution or a monotheistic god, it's, it's, it's interesting how quickly – people tend to kind of scramble around about how that system will fall apart because people can't be trusted. And it's in that way, it's a way of saying like, well, you know, would you, would you still, would you pray to God if you knew there wasn't a God? Would you be worried about this if you knew that determinism was a thing? What if we could demonstrate to you the determinism? What, what would you conduct differently knowing those things? Would you become a Hobbesian nightmare? Would you, as John Roderick says, would you start gnawing on other people's shin bones if mm-hmm. you knew that, that God was playing golf? It's uh, it's interesting because like then you start to see that sometimes sometimes people's relation to that ship to that stuff starts to feel like like a little flimsy, and it's yeah I'm not I'm not really sure where the cart and the horse are, but you know and again this goes back to me again talking about James Burke and connections and the whole idea that like the 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 threat of science was well no in order for me to keep my cushy position as a cardinal or whatever we have to have everybody believing that the sun rotates around the earth. And if you threaten that idea with your fancy science, you're going to put a lot of us out of work and that's going to cause problems. Yeah. The, the, the thing, the, the bulwark against this so far is that 
it's not there's nothing really useful you can do even if you fully accept the idea that we're just a bunch of particles banging together in a deterministic way like that's not that's not useful information to you it's not actionable there's nothing really you can do about it other than maybe letting it letting you not go down blind alleys in your in your search for how things work right but but beyond that in your day-to-day life that doesn't help you any because again it doesn't there is no uh person who's in charge and you can't tell what's going to happen uh and there's no real hope of you being able to tell what's going to happen because of the multi-universe thing unless you figure out that we are in a simulation in which case uh you've uh, made an important discovery um but it's not actionable but i but i think a lot of our fiction our science fiction very often uh explores what happens when it becomes actionable so dr manhattan in watchmen even though i've only seen the movie and barely read the comic is an example of it becoming actionable it's like all right well then you know we have this idea about a deterministic universe what if you could see the the workings of the deterministic universe and influence it on a level beyond uh, you know, I mean, it's arguable whether Dr. Manhattan is magical. But anyway, like, if if you could see the Matrix and take action based on it, then your the path, the, the you know, our human brain's conception of what the path would be like, the slippery slope to Dr. Manhattan thing is like, so why why do I care about people? Like, what, do I care if someone's going around and murdering people when, to me, I start to see it as an undifferentiated sea of particles banging together, you know? Like, the that's a lot of science fiction stories are about super beings or humans or computers that eventually see and work, see the, the, uh, the inner workings of the universe clearly uh, uh, and or can manipulate them. And they lose the connection to all of our human experience. Our human experiences are, you know, our experience of the world is through our senses and through our squishy little brains and and feelings, all our feelings that we have for each other and for morality. Like, that's our experience of the world. And if you, and we interact with the world, not at the subatomic level, like in terms of we aren't manipulating particles or seeing how they bang together and being able to predict, you know, even locally, like, that's not how we experience the universe. But if you did experience the universe that way, you can see how that would eventually cause the crumbling of all of our human institutions and all of our human value systems and, you know, the crumbling of everything because, like, what is even life if you could make a exact particle duplicate of yourself uh, right next to yourself uh, anytime you wanted? And, like, just, you know, if you, if you are manipulating the machinery of the universe at that level, you can't keep the same value system and human experience. So... That, I think, is definitely a real thing. Luckily, I don't think there's any danger of Dr. Manhattan appearing anytime soon, and we don't have to worry about that stuff because we are so far away from that level of understanding of the universe, let alone manipulating it, let alone whether anything, again, in-universe could manipulate the universe in that manner because there's some problems there with being able to... Uh, you know, we, we, have, we haven't figured out a way to control matter, matter at the subatomic level on a large scale to do anything useful, let alone to be able to do it with our own selves and not with something we've created. So I don't think it's a it's an impending thing that we have to worry about. Kind of like the singularity, like chill out, you know, everything will be okay for your lifetime anyway, uh, and probably for the entire lifetime of the sun. And we have other problems after that. So anyway, um, I'm not worried about it, but I I don't think it's totally I don't think it's totally unfounded because if you remove as you diverge from the human experience of things, so too must you diverge from human systems of laws and morals and relationships and everything that goes along with it uh-huh. that's why we better hope we don't want any aliens that have a different experience of the world because they're probably not going to relate too well to ours 
Well, yeah. And it's also, I mean, there's another theme that I'm always very interested in is this almost kind of a Lovecraftian idea of like, you know, the forces. And this, I guess this kind of leads to, we've definitely talked a little bit about uh, the UFOs. We talked about that. Like, I'm just very interested in this idea of like, what if the UFOs, um, and I do believe there are ones, I don't know if we could experience them. I don't know. That's the thing is like, we're so used to thinking about, I guess, I guess my. Go back to the UFOs. You do believe there are UFOs? You want to clarify that? Sorry. Uh, I think it would be based on my extremely rudimentary knowledge of the universe. It would be very, not UFOs, but it would be very, um, it would be very self-involved to imagine that we're the only smart things in the universe. Yeah, right. But but you're saying like uh, they no, come I don't. I don't mean just like a hot dog. I don't mean a, like a hot dog landing in Montana. <laughs> no, that's yeah, yeah. that to me. That's the problem. This this entire conversation just leads me back to this gnawing thought that we're all about a fact and a half away from being in a medieval village. That like there's <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. honestly there's so much stuff where we hang so much meaning on these things that we made a decision about uh, six to fifty years ago that continues to govern our lives that we occasionally kind of bounce around and we might sing a song about it or put ornaments on a tree. But like, as soon as we start prodding at some of these, and this is, I I do not mean this as a polemic against faith, spirituality, religion, hope. I don't mean it. I'm not trying to be polemical about any of those things, but there's not that many scientists that melt down when you question them about how the system works. They don't have a dark night of the soul about that. Well, some of them do, but you have to know a lot about their their field before you can get them to do that. Because you have to know exactly the theory that they don't believe in and present that, and they'll just no. Go nuts. And I'm not trying to say all scientists <laughs> are the good guys or any or anything like that. But but I'm also just interested in like I don't know. This is just part of like the way that my brain has been moving in the past few years. A couple threads I've talked about here. Something I talked about with Dan a lot is I. It's interesting to me whenever you know whenever we talk whether we're talking about whether there's going to be a Mac Pro or like whether we're talking about who's going to win the World Series. It's like it's it's funny how rarely I feel like I and I'm guessing most Americans go like, what if I didn't matter? Like just for the sake of argument, what if not only no one cares what my opinion is, what if nobody cared what I would prefer in terms of the RAM and a computer? What if I didn't exist? If I if, if the me that I call me on this earth didn't exist, how would I feel about the Mac Pro? I would say, buck up, Marlon. You matter just as much as an equal number of particles of air. Oh, man. Your particles are just as important as those other particles. You interact with those particles the same as any other particles. Do you really feel that way? You Don't really feel undersell way? your particles. If they weren't there, the universe would have less mass. I have particles. Possibly more energy and heat. But still, yeah. I'm just saying, you're yeah. a very important set of particles, and your particles are just as important as the particles that are next to you. Try not to think about what differentiates you from the ones that are next to you, because you'll go a little bit nuts. Where's my particles parade? This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Pearl and their Rear Vision Backup Camera. You can learn more about the Rear Vision Camera right now. You go to pearlauto.com slash diffs. Oh, man, this thing is so cool. This is a backup camera, two HD backup cameras that you put around your license plate, and it shows you what's going on when you're backing up. This is such a great thing. They sent me one of these. I love this thing. Let, let me tell you what they told me to say here. Pearl believes that the latest in automotive technology should be available to everyone, regardless of whether it's time to buy a new car. You know what? I'm going to fact check that. That is true. 
We did not pop for a car with a rear view camera. It didn't seem like something we needed, but boy, do I love this thing. It is so cool. Pearl's founders all met at Apple. Maybe you've heard of them, where they work together on the iPod and the iPhone. Thanks, team. They came together because of their goals to change automotive technology. So let me drill down a little bit here. This is an advanced backup camera and alert system that can be installed on any car in just minutes. Again, fact check, true. Took me maybe 10, 12 minutes to get the whole thing going. The wireless solar-powered camera frame, it features dual, that means two, two, two HD cameras that work in both day and night with fantastic wide-angle views. You can see what's behind you. Ooh, it's magic. And here's the thing. It's solar-powered. You ain't going to have to worry about having any wires. It just works. And it's a theft-resistant frame. It's got a little bolt that you put in. It's super cool. It installs securely around your license plate. It connects wirelessly to an adapter dingus that you plug into your car's ODB port. Again, this takes like a minute to do. Just a few minutes, get everything up and running. No drilling required. Boo drilling. Utilizing advanced image processing, the adapter processes the video stream that it receives from the camera frame to detect obstacles in your path. And then it provides audio and visual alerts that get sent to the Pearl app on your phone. It even comes with this cool little mounting dingus, so you can put it right in your car. It's super cool. It's got a live stream, too. You can even pan around. Pan around? What? To get a good view, it sees obstacles all around. It can even peek around corners. And that mount for your phone is so neat. It makes it so easy. Now, the way that we have to park at our home, don't be creepy. There's all kinds of traffic going by, and we are parallel parked. It is very hard to see out, and this thing has been a godsend. You just put the butt of your car out just a tiny little bit. You sweep around left, right, left, right. You can see everything that's coming. feels so much safer. It is super duper cool. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just think this thing's really neat. I, I, I wasn't so sure about how this thing would work, but I thought it was really impressive. And if you're the kind of person who has to do a lot of parallel parking and you don't want to go spend a million dollars on a new car, this is something you definitely want to check out. To find out more about the Rear Vision camera right now, you just go to pearlauto.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And because you are a listener of this particular program, you're going to get $50 off your Pearl Rear Vision camera. And once again, go to pearlauto.com slash diffs, and uh, your, your discount will be automatically applied when you check out. How about that? Thanks so much to Pearl and their Rear Vision camera for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. And uh, and so that's one thread of it. One th- and I'm not I'm I'm honestly not trying to be some kind of a Sufi mystic or something. But like it, it's funny how rarely I suspect anyway. I know this is true for me, and I'm just going to guess it's true for lots of people. How rarely you go like just what if what if I just didn't matter? Like how is there some part of me? And I'm not trying to get all Buddhisty here, but it's funny how much we keep coming back to this central thing, which is that we are super important and the things we believe have meaning. And like, and then to jump to this other thread, and maybe I just, I, I, if I could get through a little bit of the uh, racism, I'd probably enjoy Lovecraft more. But I'm very interested in the idea of like, <laughs> almost like a Galactus. So Galactus is this character in Marvel who like consumes the energy from a planet. Like you think of it as pictures of your kids and going to Lobster Fest. He just sees it as a meal. Like he, in in, in the classics, the the classic kind of eldritch character i'm very interested in the idea of a character who just thinks of you as as you say particles and it's like the way that we take the bag of particles that we all abstractly understand science has told us who we are and then turn that into should i buy this shirt or that shirt at target we imbue so much meaning all into all of those things and i'm not just talking about consumerism i'm not talking about religion i'm talking like big 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 kind of picture here is like 
is like if you don't sometimes stop to just think on that for a minute, like what is the me in me? If you don't stop and do that once in a while, be prepared to be very unsettled by somebody talking to you about determinism because you really you're 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 pretty close to a medieval village without really realizing it. Well, the importance thing, I think there's something to reassure people on the importance front. Like I was trying to think of like a physical model that, you know, that we can hold in our hands to say like we're kind of like this and i keep maybe it's because of our baking soda and vinegar discussion before i keep thinking yeah. like there's like a jar with a bunch of uh, with like liquid and a bunch of things that react so maybe there's some baking soda maybe there's some vinegar maybe there's some flour maybe there's some other stuff like food. you gotta get some, food, to, get some food food coloring yeah right yeah exactly and it's gonna react with each other right and so you take this jar and you shake it up vigorously and so everything's all sloshing around and, and you just let it set it down and so it's sloshed up and now everything is banging all against each other like at a certain point maybe some big blob of baking soda runs into this big pocket of vinegar and it reacts suddenly and makes a big bubble and it pops and blows everything out around it like you know it's part of the big bubbling reaction that's going on but there's one big one that blows like that right um the equivalent to that uh in our giant super particles that we call our planet and our people and all the other crap is it's like oh well, what if i didn't matter what if i'm not important or, uh, important if you think about the handful of scientists who came up with the atomic bomb um and if things if, if things had turned out differently there if the initial set of conditions and, and the shaking or whatever it had turned out there that the earth is this thing a rock cools blah, blah blah people roads blah 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 then all of a sudden uh nukes everywhere <laughs> entire all all life on the planet is wiped out uh, totally sterile, barren, radiation-strewn landscape. You would say that the set of particles that came up with the ideas for the atomic bomb, they were pretty important. They were more important yeah. than the set of particles that just was just like having dinner and like just, you know, watching TV but or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, that yeah, set of, yes. you know, am I important? Well, you, you know what? I'm sorry really I chose important. the word. I'm sorry I chose the word important because that's, I and I, it's silly like, that I like, even have to defend like, do this. Do I be- matter? Like Oppenheimer kind of mattered. Right? Okay, but this is all I'm all I'm offering here. I'm not saying I think any less of my daughter because that idea occurred to me. Did I just blow your mind? It's a thought technology. What I'm what I'm trying to say is not that we aren't important. And isn't it sad that I have to defend that? What I'm saying instead is that all the reasons that we have for understanding why the wheels turn in the way that makes sense to us all comes back to us. And if we don't understand that and occasionally just take a minute to go, oh, I've probably got a reason that I think this certain way about it. And not just because it'll benefit me financially, not just because it'll get me a nicer apartment in, in Moscow. Like for whatever reason, like I just, when I say we're not important, I don't mean that we're not important, but I mean, it's, that's the wrong word. But it's, it's that we, the more that we get to think about why our reasons are the way that they are, the further we dig into this idea that puts us at the, at the center of the universe. It's, you know what? It's maybe why we find something like, Let's say the Iron Giant, so touching. Or, you know, or the whole idea of anybody who does some kind of a, like a sacrifice for others. Because they somehow got past, setting aside some kind of, you know, psychopathology, they, they got past this point of seeing themselves as the reason the universe is here. To seeing, no, 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 the universe is here and it's going to be going on long after I'm gone. I just, I just mean, when I say not important, I'm not saying that human beings aren't important, but I'm saying like it's the sole obsession with how important our existence and thoughts are that lead us to where we end up in a lot of ways. There's probably a name that's probably not very flattering for what I'm describing here. But like when you, when you ever try to pick apart 
that particular ball of yarn about why we're the way we are and why we think the way that we think, we will come up with all these reasons. You've probably seen the gray video uh, where you got the different sides of the brain and like yeah, you convince yeah. yourself that uh, I, I saw the Nova thing in, in middle school that that was based on. Yep, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying that we're no, and I thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you have such honor and regard for my particles. It's just. It's just more that you know. Yeah. And you know what? I don't have anything practical for this. It's just a thought that I've been banging around in my head. Um, yeah. Like if you can, if, you know, there's lots of thought technologies you can pull out of the deterministic thing. Even if you, you uh, here's a case where you can apply them to a different level of abstraction to, you know, for, you know, nonsensically, but to have good effect. And one of them is that, you know, the whole idea that the universe is knowable and that can lead you to, you know, basic self-examination. Like, why do I do the things that uh, I do? I should try to understand them. And you're operating at a so, you know, a totally different level than particles banging around. But if you accept the premise that things are knowable, you will be less likely to just accept, I just do the things I do, and I don't have to understand why, or I have I have a, a high level, I have my reasons, but I don't think about them too much, right? Basic, you know, just basic psychology 101 applied to yourself. It won't occur to you to do that, if you don't feel like that's a thing. And this is a case where the self-centeredness that you were talking about, that I'm so important that and that everything is, you know, like this can be a benefit to say, you know, I tell my kids this sometimes or try to in, in various ways, like that understanding why you do the things you do is, it's an important skill. It's a skill you have to develop and it's important to develop it because otherwise you're just like a leaf in the wind or, you know, whatever, Forrest Gump style, what was he? I think it was a feather. Like yeah. otherwise you're just being swept along by your emotions, essentially. Like it, it, this is modeling at the level of the human experience and big, chunky things. But good, you know, good to think about because if you if you never think about why did I do that thing that I did, I think I did it because I was angry. Was I really angry? Was I angry about that thing? Or was it basic transference of some other anger? Like just really basic psychology 101 at broad level type things. And grabbing onto the deterministic universe as like a tiny little thought technology or like a little totem or a token or a thing, a worry stone to rub in your hand can lead you to say, I should look into that because I shouldn't just accept that it is what it is and that my very surface level experience of me being me is all there is to ever know. Because that leads to the situation like, you know, that gets back to the old saying that we talked about on the show of like, you know, if every single person you meet every day is an asshole, guess what? You're the asshole, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, that's that's the, the leading the unexamined life. Right. And I think the abstract uh, up in the clouds, not particularly useful until we're all Dr. Manhattan idea of a deterministic universe is something that can lead you away from uh, every person you're encountering being an asshole. Because it will it will pull you away from that, because that that idea, that thought technology will cause you to look at things differently and lead you down the path to to do basic examination well of your, and that's that's why i that's why i think existentialism in whatever form you choose to examine it can be so embracing it's you know i would like to think that a lot of the people who decide that they're in die and rand at 16 will eventually reach out a little further than that because you know somebody with that same ability to read could learn a little bit more about the the awesome and harrowing possibilities of existentialism because that's not quite so far off. I mean, maybe leaven that with a little bit of a uh, little bit of Kierkegaard and a little bit of Sartre. But you know, it it's interesting to begin in this. Uh, if you if you do really strip this stuff down, you get down to like, well, let's assume that I do have for whatever reason. Let's assume for whatever reason I feel like I have agency in this world. And then if you think about that a little bit, you're not really that many steps far away from well. 
if I have agency in this world, whether or not it's real, I have responsibilities to do things a certain way that like, and you know, if <laughs> I don't know, I, I think there's, I think I'm not trying to give people hope. That's the last thing that I want to do. But I, but I do think that if any of this stuff is unsettling, well, it's probably unsettling because we got a lot of this wrong according to canonical uh, philosophy and thinking. Sorry, Max Temkin. But, um, but I think these kinds of little thought experiments as something you just hold in your hands and kind of look at for a while, it doesn't have to be depressing. Um, it could be very invigorating. But if you find that you are sitting in that middle medieval village banging particles together and trying to make a fire, well, maybe it's worth taking a little time with that and wondering, like, how much is propping up your worldview based on who the hell you imagine that you are and what little nugget of information you got a pretty long time ago that you're still pretty cleft to. It doesn't, um, thoughts, thoughts do not have to hurt. So my, uh, speaking of, vaguely speaking about libertarianism, the, the, uh, the same trap that libertarians get pulled into is the same trap that anyone gets pulled into to some degree. And that I often find myself being pulled into is the idea that like, you know, if if you could, uh, if, if everyone was as rational as I was, the world would be a better place because, right? <laughs> they, any 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 philosophy that starts with "boy, if only I could change every other person to be more like X," the system would work out. And all it's, those systems are are airtight because you're like, "boy, if I could just make everybody really, really want to give me stuff, I would be really happy." Well, yep, how, how do you how do you system. refute it? Because the, the right. basic argument is, if everybody would agree the world is the way that I see it and gave me what I feel like right, I deserve, right. if, they, if they all if they all acted the then way, I will a priori simple, I will a priori have earned it. Right, or you know, it's like, or or just a rational actor idea. Like, if we assume people act rationally, well, they don't. But but what if they did? It's like, okay, what if they did? Right? You know, like, but if we assume everyone will act in this way, then this is what it's like. But you know, any any system that starts with the premise of changing. But but anyway, but I think about for the, for the rationality thing is like, you know, you're you're, you're uh, a lot of people want to espouse their philosophy or like would like pe- more people to think the way they do and their maybe their worldview. Right, and everyone would say this. Religious people would say, "Boy, if people believed in the religion that I believe in, in the way that I believe in, the world would be a better place." Yeah, that's also mostly true. But those are all like weird command and control fantasies, where like you're just you know the pawns are on the board and you can program them all exactly how you want, and you set them off to their ways, and like look, everything works out. It's like that's great. You started from a false premise. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you say. It's it's just ridiculous. But uh, all that said. Um, when I think about things like this, like the the salient thought technology for me personally is, you know, as we discussed in the past, is, is the elimination of magic. And the sooner sooner you can let go of that, and I think free will is part of that, and probably the last thread that people don't, the sooner you can let go of that, the sooner you are free from many traps that are, await you in terms of magical thinking or, uh, you know, like unexamined beliefs and all sorts of other things that are just giant danger signs because... There is no coming back from them. There is no refuting them. They, you know, just bringing in these axioms into your into your worldview and never looking at them. Uh, it can be great. Like your axiom could be, you know, it could be just, you know, the, the highest of high Judeo Christian ethics, right? But a lot of that stuff comes with crap, and it could also be terrible. <laughs> and if it's not founded on anything rational then you're just it's it's terrible i think what did we discuss show did we discuss this in the the magical thinking and 
how was the how was the trap even though it looked like it was uh could potentially be good i forget what topic that was yeah i did too i mean there was one we talked about it was just the john's rationality episode it, might have been it was even it was even before that like the anyway the, the, the idea anyway so the last bastion of magical thinking in most people most people casual you know again not majors in this particular the last bastion of magical thinking is free will because no one wants to let it go and i would feel like you know if i had to make a pitch for this i would say you get to keep no one's the boss of me you get to keep no one will know if it happened just let go of the other part and if you can grasp that worry stone of deterministic universe it is really a really powerful thought technology for you to climb your way back up out of the muck and prevent yourself from ever falling into a trap with some premise that's in you know some unexaminable uh premise that is going to make you do something that you would otherwise think is horrible right like kill a bunch of people who are different than you and we but but it's also like i can't help but look at the the practical component as you say what uh what would you do differently if not you but if somebody were to question free will and be troubled by the idea of determinism well okay i'll i'll, I'll bite what would you do differently tomorrow if you realized you were in a deterministic universe yeah, I think I think that would affect because again, people always want to hold on to that thing, and you know, well, they think what, I get to wear I, I sweatpants think, and not go to work, and it's like, well, no, that's not really how it works. Well, what it would do for a lot of people, I mean, there's a problem because if you keep tearing it down like that, eventually it's gonna it's gonna take out any religion. That's that's one of the many reasons that you already brought up, like the church and power structure not wanting science to go in. But every you know, science is seen as encroaching on the truth that was dictated by religion because you know, religions we've got answers for everything and they're definitive. Trust us, and science is like. Eh, maybe what about this and so it's like you know the the as if uh science is chasing god into a corner which is the you know the 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 fear of all that but if you go all the way which is not really true practically speaking a lot of us has to do with political power structures and just controlling other people and all sorts of hard, horrible political things um but if you go all the way down and can get down to the determinist universe and grab it with both hands and and you know expunge magic from your worldview entirely necessarily the religion part has to fall by the wayside right it has to eventually and that's that's a danger for a lot of people because for a lot of people that is a, the cornerstone of their uh, of their life and that's not good to, to blow up that cornerstone and be like i'm fine now totally untethered from everything that i've believed in like not good not healthy like but if you could if you can come to that on your own as many people do naturally not being coerced or whatever i think it will necessarily make you do things differently in the rest of your life first of all i think it will make you not fall into other similar potentially worse value systems like you won't join a cult right hopefully um i suppose you could join a nihilistic dr manhattan cult but most of the cults are not like that (laughs) because there's not enough people who are into that worldview you won't join a religious cult you won't uh you know like what i was gonna get try to think of like a stereotypical example of a cult like what would you say is a one sentence funny thing that characterizes cults and the first thing that came to my mind was such a such an incredible encapsulation of the same idea of like you know ascribing human nature to everything and building structures around humans or whatever i'm gonna see if you have the same idea if i say if i say cult what what kind of dynamic comes to mind what kind of one sentence the most horrible thing about a cult you can think of i guess word, besides the, drinking the word the, the word the well let's say the word brainwashing is the first thing that comes to mind maybe i'm thinking the wrong way but the first thing i think of when i think of cults is like how many cults have there been 
where there is a charismatic male leader who, who for some ex- extremely explicable within the rule system of the cult reason, needs to have a bunch of young girls brought to him. Oh, sure. No, no, that's <laughs> like, yeah. like Talk about the most undisguised, like, <laughs> base, shaved monkey, patriarchal, political, sexual influence. It's like, <laughs> it's a really sophisticated cult, but let me tell you, I cannot express to you how important it is for me to have young girls. But they just, got a lot of reasons. Just, they got just a lot give of me reasons. your daughters. Trust me. It's mm-hmm. a really important part of the system. And it's like, you're not even trying to. It's like, how many cults are like that? You need their innocence. They're, they're open-minded. They can create progeny. Yeah. Can, can, you know, control of women as the cornerstone of, of most modern, you know, U.S., Western, you know, the cults that we know about. Like, that always happens to be a factor for some weird reason. Right? It's just, you won't, like... That, I think that is so ridiculous to everybody, right? But but anyway, if you if you if you get all the way down to deterministic universe and arrive at it on your own, you're less likely to fall into I'd such as say ideologies. Like ideologies are not founded on on any kind of reason or explicable thing to, you know to embrace wholeheartedly that you have to kill the insert uh, ethnic or religious group and never like, question what it. What do you I'm like, sitting here thinking like the you so when I think of cults, I mean like the classic cults. You know what? I'm not going to get into it. Um, but, uh, you know, for some reason, I keep thinking of, I had to look it up, Marshall Applewhite. What do you make of Marshall Applewhite as a cult figure, Heaven's Gate? Do you remember uh, this? Is that the Nike sneakers guy? It's the black Nikes, and the comet's going to come. But, like, it's interesting. It's one thing It's one thing to be... Oh, the Doomsday Cults, yes. I love those guys. Well, yeah, because it's, it's one thing to have, like, uh, like Charles Manson was getting more tail than Sinatra and getting drugs, and he got to meet Dennis Wilson. Yeah, I had a lot to recommend him. Uh, you get you get the cults, you get the Jamestown. You know, Jamestown happened uh, pretty what, much where my grandfather's from. Did you know that? My grandfather's from... Uh, Wasn't that from in South America? British Guyana. That's where my grandfather's from. No, yeah. I know. Then called British Guyana, but yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. But like, you know, you see the kinds of cults where you're like, oh, I, I get it. Like, you know, this guy, uh, he gets a lot of money. He gets a lot of adulation. But like, what's the, uh, what's the, well, you know, I should just read the Wikipedia entry. But like, that's the ones that I find puzzling. Sort of like, you know, the um, <laughs> the reasonableists, I think they're called, on Parks and Rec. You know, the the the, the, the doomsday cult people. Where, where do you think that comes from? Well, that's just, you know all those things all the cult things are like who are who are the victims of cults you know but there's another thing that i think just based on the cults that we know about in the u.s in recent memory like people who are victims of cults of people who are looking for meaning in their lives and looking to feel like they belong and and can be useful and you know they pray they prey on the people who are the most vulnerable that's who ends up in a cult and if you are extremely vulnerable uh and uh, are in a particular state, you will go right along with you. You know, like the brainwashing that you just mentioned, you will go right along with whatever they're doing, up to and including. We mm-hmm. should all tell ourselves because at this point, you are totally convinced that the comet really is coming, and this is how you get on it, or whatever it is. Or you know, I don't think the Jonestown people knew they were drinking that. Was is, weren't they all poisoned by the Kool Aid, but didn't know that was a thing, or were they all on board with it? Technically, I, I think it was. I think it was Flavor Aid, but but either way, like you, once you have people in in your thrall in that way you can get them on board. But but in that case, people people feel like there's this, as they say, eschatology, you've got like the end of the world stuff, where you feel like maybe it's something where you feel like this world is just too much, and I need what's waiting on the other side of the black Nikes, and Marshall Oppenweit is going to lead the way. 
Yeah, I, I mean this. That's a that's another cornerstone of even the quote unquote non cult religions in terms of making people <laughs> be willing to die for and kill for mm. this belief system. Mm. It's just that usually they're more sophisticated geopolitical aims uh, pulling the strings, but sometimes it's just one nutty guy who uh, really does believe in his own heart of hearts that the comet is coming too, and it's just yeah. They're just another little bubble in the stew, popping off there in the corner, making a much smaller. And, and to be clear, with that old analogy with the baking <laughs> soda thing, Oppenheimer was a big soap, uh, a big a bubble of you know, uh, baking soda and vinegar. Hmm. Like there's no, there's no, you know, like I'm just saying, like in terms of of the stew and the mixture, some do make bigger bubbles than other. Yeah, and some some girls' bubbles are bigger than other girls' bubbles. Do you feel like you mostly got it out of your system with uh, with free will? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like we were going to address it in even less time because, like, obviously my take is so boring and, like, trite and has been heard a million times by another a million other, like, pseudo-rationalist nerds on the internet, like, whatever. We need you know? more of those, you know? like, Yeah, sure, this is going to be a letdown because, like, oh, well, whatever. So, like, people are just rolling their eyes and, you know. But, hey, we talked about it for a long time. People wanted us to get to it. We got to it. It's show number 40. If it felt crappy to you, we both feel crappy, too. Wow, wow, easy, <laughs> easy. Jeez, I'm talking about the, about the election. Maybe not so much about the free will things. When uh, when I see green, how do I know that's the same green that you see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And does it matter? Rods and cones. Yeah, maybe yeah. a good name for an acoustic duo. Probably already a rods. No, and cones. that's got to be uh, rods and cones. Is that's that's a bad name for a band. Bad name. Well, it sounds like a, like a, maybe like a, like cups and cakes. Sounds kind of like a Spinal Tap song. No, but rods and cones is all about it's all rods about light, and, and the band is about sound. I don't know the names of the parts of the year, but you would go for that. Neurasthenia, like cilia or something. I don't know what's going on in the ear. Yeah, rods and it's probably some cones. bunch of medical names for the crap in the ear. That's what you name your band. Out of sight, I see with cones when it's getting near night. <laughs> is, that, is that a rhyme they taught you to to learn with the isn't that the opposite of the rods are the near night right hmm? and the cones the the cone the rods are the more light sensitive one and the cones are i the, thought you got the perkinji effect that the perkinji effect was from your cones taking over am i wrong oh i don't know perkinji, don't what's called the perkinji which. shift is that the sex thing what's called perkin let's just be glad that someone invented the microscope and someone else is willing to cut open a bunch of dead just bodies a bunch of microscopes banging into each other yep oh. cutting dead people's eyeballs open that's what it's all about, people. Perkinji effect is the tendency for the peak luminance sensitivity of the human eye to shift toward the blue end of the color spectrum at low illumination levels. I don't know if that's cones. Probably going to get a lot of feedback. I was thinking of, like, which ones are the light-sensitive ones and which ones are the color-sensitive ones, and I don't remember. Yeah. I just, I just hope we can all get along. All of our sensitivities. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Well, there's no way that was going to go well. What can you do? 